0: Right, all those things are things that we trust, and we don't even think about it. Where do you put your trust? I think we we can just think of so many things, like in that video where we don't even think about the fact that we we trust our seatbelts can hold us, or that our barista has the best in mind when they hand us our latte. One of the things that I've noticed recently that I trust, put my trust in, is um, riding in a plane. Which, when you think about it logically, doesn't make a lot of sense, right? For those of you who don't know me, my name is Janie. I'm one of the people on staff here, and I uh, lived on the East Coast and in California for a while. And my family was here, and so I spent a lot of time on planes. And if you think about the fact that you're um, 3,000 feet or 30,000 feet in the air in like I don't know a thousand ton thing um, sitting in a chair flying through the air, I mean that's I mean we trust that that is that seems ridiculous, right? It's something crazy that we that we trust. And actually, um, I read this book a couple of years ago and I talk about it all the time. I think about it all the time. It's called the survivor's club. It's a book that I read. And it's, um, it's this, it's trying to figure out how come some people, when they're in difficult situations, chaos or whatever, how come some people survive and some people don't. And one whole chapter is about plane crashes and the the chances of being in a plane crash is like one in 64 million. So it's, it's really, really small, but, um, the author was talking about how often plane crashes happen that nobody actually there's not casualties. You actually can survive because usually when we're, in, when we're on a plane, we're like, if this plane's going down, I'm done, right? We're all done. But in reality, I don't know. That's what we say, but in reality, a lot of plane crashes are survivable. Survivable. I don't know what the word is. Survivable. Um, so because of this book, when I get on a plane now, anybody who's flown with me can attest to this. There are rules that I follow first one is, I never wear flip-flops on a plane. You want closed to shoes if you need to run down the aisle, right? If you got to get out of there fast, never wear flip-flops on a plane, you guys, I'm telling you. Um, and I always, as soon as I get into the, my seat, I immediately count how many rows to the emergency exit because you think you'll be able to see, but you won't be able to see if it's full of smoke, right? You need to know how many chairs you need to count in order to get to the emergency exit. I always pay attention to the flight attendant during the safety briefing, no matter how many times I've heard it. Okay, oxygen mask, put it on, okay. I know where my safety card is. I know it seems crazy, but I want to be a survivor. I want to be someone who goes into action. One thing that I learned in this book is that when chaos happens, when there's craziness, like a plane crash or something like that, 10% of people will go into action, They will spring into action, They will do everything they need to do in order to make sure that they survive. 10% of people. So they're on one extreme. On the other extreme is 10% of people who go crazy, right? They just are screaming and freaking out, panicking. That's 10% of people. Even though on, like, movies and TV, that looks like everybody, that's really only a small percentage of people. And then 80% of people do nothing. 80%. 80 percent. Everybody thinks, "No, I will spring into action." No, you won't. You will sit there like a deer in headlights because that's what 80 percent of people do. And we look. They looked at why. What's the psychology behind this? And the reason is, whenever you encounter something or someone in your life, um, what immediately what your brain starts doing when you don't even know it? Your brain is constantly like looking for a past experience that's similar to that one. It's looking for. A frame of reference. That's what your brain does. Immediately you meet somebody and your brain's like trying to, oh this person looks like this person. Oh I remember this, this scenario feels like that scenario, right? But if you're in a crazy situation, your brain's like, working, working, I got, I got nothing. There's, an, I have nothing to tell you about what to do, so you just sit there. So, frame of reference is so important for us in order to connect to other people, in order to know what to do um, in certain circumstances. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about frame of reference um, tonight and how important that is when we understand something or when we believe something. If you've been here this quarter, you know we've been going through a series in the book of Luke called "I Belong." And we've been looking at stories of Jesus and how he encountered people throughout the book of Luke. And who belonged to Jesus? Essentially anyone who put their trust in him belonged to Jesus. So what we want to do now is look at, okay, we know who belongs to Jesus. What does someone who belongs to Jesus believe? What do those people believe in? And so we are actually transitioning into... um, A new series called I Believe, and we're going to look at the book of Luke part two, which is actually the book of Acts. Um, It was probably, most scholars think it was written by the same person, so we're going to be looking at the book of Acts to figure out what is it that we believe? Where do I put my trust, right? That was the question at the end of the video. Where do you put your trust? So in looking at Acts, we're going to look at the first three chapters of the book of Acts. And we're going to be exploring the Trinity as a starting point for what we believe. Now, there might be people who are like, the Trinity, oh my God, so hard to understand, right? And there's some people who are like, Trinity, that was the name of the girl on the Matrix? Like, that's what I know about the Trinity? (laughs) The the Trinity is kind of this confusing, nebulous thing, because it's this idea that three and one are the same. What? So the Trinity is the personality of God, which is revealed in three distinct parts, but those distinct parts are one whole. And the three parts of the Trinity are God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another way to understand this is the role that the Trinity plays. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. God the Father is our Creator. Jesus the Son is our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is our Sustainer. So to understand the Trinity, I'm going to go through the Bible in 30 seconds or less, or it's free. That's no, free anyway. I'm not going to charge you. Okay, so this is uh, just a bonus. We're going to look at the Bible through the lens of the Trinity. If you are someone who calls yourself a Christian, if you are someone who says, I follow Jesus, I belong to Jesus, then what I'm about to say with the Bible, you need to ask yourself, do I believe that? Because this is kind of the basics of what we believe. So... Ready? Here we go. God, the creator, gave life to everything in this world, including humans. And God loved humans, wanted to be in relationship with them. Humans broke their relationship with God. They decided, I don't really need God, number one, and number two. I think I'd like to be my own God. Um, But God still wanted to be in relationship with humans, so what God did was he made a covenant with a group of these humans, a group of people, the Israelites. And these Israelites were going to receive God's blessing, and they were going to share God's blessing with the world. Great plan. Problem was, it immediately went off the rails. Um, Israel did not hold up their end of the covenant. And that's basically what the entire Old Testament is about, is kind of letting us know how Israel kind of failed over and over again. Don't blame them. They're human. We would have done the same thing. But God was still determined to reconcile this relationship with humans. And so basically what God did was he put some skin on, and he came down here, and he did it himself. So that is Jesus the Son. God coming to earth in order to reconcile this relationship between God and humans. And um, those who recognize their need for God are able to be reconciled in relationship through Jesus who died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And the way that we are able to continue on having a relationship with God is through the Holy Spirit. That is how we have a reconciled relationship with our God, because the Holy Spirit is um, with us today. So there you go. That is the Bible in 30 seconds through the lens of the Trinity. And those are important things to know and believe if you're going to say, I belong to Jesus. Might be some nuance in there, maybe a few stories I left out. I mean, the Bible's like this big. But, the basics of what you get when you look at it. Tonight, we're actually going to focus our lens on one of those parts of the Trinity. We are going to look at Jesus, the Son, our Redeemer. So that's what we're going to focus when we look at this question of um, what do we believe. But before we do that, um, I want to pray for us. Gracious God, how blessed we are that you have chosen to take on flesh, to come and dwell among us, to walk in our shoes. God, we are grateful that you are a God that knows what we have experienced in our lives, and you are a God who loves us and desires to be reconciled to us anyways. I pray that tonight, as we look at the story of your son, that you would be present with us now. May the words of my mouth and meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so we are going to look at Acts chapter 1, like I said, to look at the person of Jesus. Um, And what's just happened at the end of Luke, Jesus has been crucified, he died, he rose again, and he appeared before his disciples, the people who followed him. He appeared before his disciples for about 40 days um, and gave them some instruction and spent some time with them. So, Let's look at Acts chapter one, starting at verse one. Okay. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So in the book of Luke, Acts um, the guy who wrote it's not his name is not Acts, I just called him Acts. Luke wrote this at the beginning of Luke as well, when when he said he wrote a letter to his friend Theophilus. So he's continuing that in Acts. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here we see God the Father and Jesus the Son talking, talking about the Holy Spirit. We have the Trinity. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus has given them instructions. He's given his disciples some instructions, um, but they still have some questions, right? Jesus has ascended into heaven in a cloud. Um, But one of the questions they have before he leaves is, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's verse six. Now this was the frame of reference that the disciples had. Back to the Bible in 30 seconds, um, God chose a people, Israel, that would receive his blessing and he would share that blessing with all the world. Even though they failed miserably at that covenant, God keeps reminding them throughout the Old Testament that he's going to keep the covenant. He's going to give them a Messiah, a Savior. So the people of Israel had a picture in their heads. They had a picture, a frame of reference for what this Messiah was going to look like. Pictures like Moses, who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They thought he would be a prophet like that. Pictures like King David, who was a king over Israel when they were the most prosperous, when they were their most um, their most economically and politically and socially prominent. And at the time of Jesus, they were occupied by Rome. So a lot of people like, oh, the Messiah is going to make sure Israel is a strong nation again. They were had pictures, they had a frame of reference of um, a Messiah who would be like the priests of Israel, called the Levites. And the priests would help make the people of Israel holy in the eyes of God and make sacrifices on their behalf. The Messiah was supposed to be a prophet like Moses, a king like David, or a priest like the priests of, Is- of Israel. Even the disciples who had listened to Jesus, they had watched him. They had been with him for three years. They had heard his message of unconditional love and grace for the world. They watched him rise from the dead. Even they were still going back to this old frame of reference. Their question was, when are you going to restore Israel to prominence? They thought they knew what a prophet and a priest and a king was supposed to look like. The Israelites, even the disciples, had pictures of who Jesus the Messiah was supposed to be. And when Jesus talks to people in the New Testament and they think this guy might be the Messiah, they're like, no, he doesn't look like the picture I have in my head. So this means this guy's not the Messiah. And it reminded me a lot of today. It reminded me of how many thousands of pictures that we have for who Jesus is. Expectations we place on Jesus. So I... um, Browse through the internets today, and I found some of those pictures, some pictures that I want to show you of who is Jesus. Um, So this is a typical, these are ones we see a lot, right? Jesus is a shepherd, and then this one is is, looks like a senior pick, I don't know. But you see that one? (laughs) You see that one all the time in, like, churches. And then you have um, the next one. So on the right, we have blonde-haired, blue-eyed Scandinavian Jesus. That makes sense. And then we have black Jesus, right? Even though he was Palestinian, so he probably looks like neither of these representations. And then the next one, um, thumbs up, Jesus. Yeah, he's a good guy. The next one, um, oh, yeah. Chuck, this is uh, what I like to call Chuck Norris Jesus. Um, he's a warrior king with jeans. Jesus, the fresh maker. Somehow, I don't know what Mentos. Uh, and then we have oh, touchdown, Jesus! This is the University of Notre Dame. If you're a football fan, and this is behind the goalposts at the University of Notre Dame, is Jesus going making touchdown? Jesus loves sports. Clearly, the next slide shows that too. See, Jesus is my coach. The, the best part of that picture is it looks like he's keeping the ball away from the kids. <laughs> or he's, like, swatting it, like, rejected. Um, and then the next one, we have Jesus as a toy, like, Jesus' uh light switch plate. And there's a toy, Jesus, which is a nice action figure. And we also have, uh that's South Park Jesus. He lives in his house in South Park, which is great. Uh The next one is hipster Jesus that looks like a no gear bike. I think it does. Um, and the next one, Oh Jesus on a grilled cheese sandwich. That's a good one. Uh, the next picture of Jesus. Oh, I just threw this in. This is the last one. This is Vladimir Lenin, Mickey mouse and Jesus <laughs> together in a statue. I love the harmony that is displayed in this statue, I don't know what that's about. Um I think that's that's the last one. And that's just a small sample of the thousands of pictures of Jesus that are out there. Right? I even have oh I got this one from Ryan Church's office. This is bobblehead Jesus right here. And it's kind of the question of what picture of Jesus is the right picture. Well all of those pictures and none of those pictures, right? We have expectations for who Jesus is and who Jesus will be for us. We shape Jesus into our own image. We shape Jesus into the picture we expect him to look like. I, um, My picture of Jesus is a man standing with his arms crossed and a look of disappointment on his face. Now, Clearly, I bring my own baggage to that picture of Jesus, but we all do that. And it's not that Jesus is my homeboy isn't true, but that picture of Jesus is way too small. That does not represent who Jesus really is because we've, we've shrink wrapped him and put him in, you know, a box that's convenient or we'll have bottlehead Jesus. This is yes when we want it to say yes and no when we want it to say no, right? Now if that's the case, What should Jesus look like? What do we believe is true? The issue for Israel and the disciples and for us is a frame of reference. Nothing in the world had ever looked like, sounded like, talked about things like Jesus. He blew people's minds. He shatters the boxes that people place around God and says he he will not be contained by what we think he should be. The theologian N.T. Wright says that um, Jesus is God's rescue mission for the world. And it is a rescue mission that is really hard for us to get our heads around. It's one that offers free grace and love. And it seems so good to be true, we either reject it or we do nothing. Like Moses, Jesus is a prophet that led people out of slavery. But not the prophet people expected. He blew up the boundaries of what a prophet was supposed to be. And he led out of slavery way more than Israel. He led out all people, right? Men, women, all races, young, old, people of all generations, rich and poor. Anyone who believes in Jesus is their Messiah, their Lord, and their Savior. Galatians 5 talks about uh, the slavery, the freedom from slavery that we receive. Um, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The freedom is extended for all of the sin and evil and the expectations that this world has us in bondage over. It breaks the chains of whatever habits and sins entangle you, whether it's your pride, your lust in your sexual sin, your jealousy, your judgment, using other people for your own selfishness. I mean, the list is endless, but it brings promise of unending life and love and a reconciled relationship with God that cannot be bound. Do you believe that Jesus has released you from the bondage of slavery. Like David, Jesus was and is a king. Not a king that people expected. He blew up the boundaries of what it meant to rule over people, and instead, he humbled himself and got under people and lifted them up from below. And instead of just reestablishing the nation of Israel, Jesus flipped the expectations of, of what it meant to be in his kingdom because the ones who are blessed are not the rich and the powerful it's the humble and those that are in need that discover Jesus's blessing he brings justice for the oppressed and they watch as Jesus ascends into heaven and he sits along he sits on the at the right hand of God the creator Hebrews 12 um gives us a picture of what it looks like And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The end of Jesus' story on earth is the beginning of our story of being empowered to live in the kingdom of God for us right here. He isn't just giving us an interesting way of life. He is giving us a new way to live and die and be a part of his kingdom. Do you believe that Jesus is your just and humble king? Do you put your trust in him? Like the Levites, Jesus is a priest. But unlike the priests of the other gods, the sacrifice that Jesus made was different. This comes alive most profoundly for me when we jump back into the Old Testament. Um, if we back, if we look at a story from, um, 1st Kings, all of the nations around Israel, all the nations around Israel were trying to, um, prove how their God was better than the God of Israel. So, they all went up on top of Mount Carmel and Elijah, who was a priest and a prophet from Israel, he went up on Mount Carmel too. They built altars and they were going to call to their gods to rain down fire from heaven. And, uh, here's, here's what happened. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. So there's some trash talking going on about the God of Israel. Elijah began to taunt them, taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in, he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Did you catch that? They slashed themselves with swords and spears, and that was their custom. They did that all the time. In fact, sometimes they would sacrifice their children. Their God demanded that they wound themselves. Our God not only made a sacrifice on our behalf. Not only did he not demand that we slash ourselves, that we make our own blood flow, our God took on flesh, became one of us, and he was the one who was pierced with the sword. He is the one who is wounded. Jesus, as our priest, sacrificed himself so that we might know unconditional love and grace that God has for us, so that we can be reconciled to him. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you put your trust in a God who would die for you? Jesus blows people's minds. We have no frame of reference for anything like him. The free grace he offers, it seems crazy. It's why the religious establishment killed him back in the day. And it's why we reject him or we don't do anything in response to him today. Jesus is a prophet that leads every person out of slavery. Jesus is a priest who sacrificed himself on our behalf. Jesus is our king who has reestablished a kingdom that has reconciliation and love and justice and mercy for all of creation. And he makes all things new. But above and beyond all of that, Jesus is our savior. Jesus is your savior. He's my savior. What do you believe about Jesus. Is he a warrior? Is he a simple shepherd? Is he just a guy with some pretty good advice? Are your perceptions of Christ based on who Jesus actually is? Or are you bringing your baggage to your image, your picture of Jesus? My hope is that we can expand our frame of reference. That we can open up this box that we've put God in so that we might f- more fully experience the life that Jesus has for all of us. I want to close by reading a passage of scripture to you. It's one of my favorite passages and one of my favorite books. Um, it's Philippians chapter 2. And this, I, this chapter, I think, this passage really sums up the reality of who Jesus is as our prophet, our priest, our king. And I want you to listen to it. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want you to listen. Listen to these words. And as you do, I want you to ask yourself, where am I putting my trust? What is it that I believe? In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross.